Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, everybody, welcome to episode four of the flagship. And listen, we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna put some positivity into this. All right, we're gonna we're gonna go positive. Uh, Taylor Estes, Horns247.com uh, site manager, star reporter, uh, extraordinaire, joining me as always. Taylor, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing probably better than Texas fans right now, but that's not saying much. I don't think, Chip. How are you doing? I mean, I'm sitting here and and I'm thinking, okay, we can go deep dive into all the things that went wrong. Um, but Texas fans have done that now for four days. So mm-hmm. I, I, let's pull out a couple of things that Texas can build on going forward. And obviously, first and foremost, the tough injury news is Cade Brewer, who started eight games at tight end for Texas, is um, had surgery Monday on a partially torn ligament in his ankle and is probably going to be out four to six weeks, which means he could miss the rest of the regular season. Um, and punter Ryan Buchevsky had surgery Sunday to repair a broken collarbone, although Tom Herman said that is not a season-ending injury. But the good news is Caden Stearns is expected back, B.J. Foster, DeMarvin Overshawn, Jeffrey McCulloch, and Jordan Whittington, freshman, early enrollee, five-star recruit, uh, stud, broke Eric Dickerson's 4A state championship record with over 300 yards rushing, is expected back for the Kansas State game when Texas resumes its season on November 9th. So there's some good news right there. I mean, any any positive news on the injury front for Texas right now is good news. I mean... Talk about, you know, small moral victories, but seriously, like, let's be honest, this team could use as many healthy bodies as possible, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So, yeah, if Texas fans have anything positive to take into this bye week, it's some experience is coming back to the defense. You're not going to have, you know, a true freshman safety starting with his backup being a true freshman corner who moved from corner to safety just to back him up in Kenyatta Watson or having Donovan DuVernay be the backup too, who's also a corner, um, backing up Montreal style safety. So I think that's that's a positive, um, whether Texas fans want to take it or not. But, you know, I, I do think one of the other positives to take from the TCU game itself, Chip, is while there is absolutely no doubt that Sam Ellinger had easily among his worst performance um, as the starting quarterback at Texas, in my opinion, I mean, that kind of it really brought back memories of Sam Ellinger as an underclassman in a couple of games, um, whether it was Maryland last year or, you know, the number of games where, you know, games on the line, he throws interceptions uh, towards, you know, late in the game to kind of just give it away um, like he did a couple of times his freshman season. But you have to look at the production of Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson. I mean, these two, you know, going into the season, people knew that they were going to be, kind of the one-two punch per se at receiver, which you don't really hear all the time, but that's kind of what people expected them to be. You know, Colin was injured, um, but played through in the LSU game that was out for a number of games. But with them two on the field, they can keep even a struggling offense kind of in a game. I mean, the two of them combined totaled for 274 yards on 15 receptions. I mean, that's that's something that you have to look at as a positive because I'm not sure – you know, last year, Texas had Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey kind of doing that. Um, and everyone was talking about who's going to replace Lil Jordan Humphrey. Well, I think that the person replacing Lil Jordan Humphrey is a better version of Lil Jordan Humphrey and Devin DuVernay. So, you know, Sam Ellinger, I think, you know, he's still he's you know a junior. You don't expect that type of game from a junior. But at the same time, I mean, as long as those two guys are on the field, I think that Texas always has a chance. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and the production of, of those two seniors uh, has been fantastic. They combined for 16 catches in the win over Kansas. And, and Colin Johnson had four receptions on the game-winning drive to a field goal, to the game-winning field goal. Uh, and Devin DuVernay had uh, that last catch for those five extra yards. And, you know, Taylor, as I was watching the, the TCU game, I felt like Texas was was going to win that game, even with the struggles. Um, you know, they were up 2013 mid, midway through the third quarter. And I just felt like Sam and Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay would find a way to get it done. And I did not anticipate Sam Ellinger throwing that third interception uh, at Texas's own 36 with really the game in the balance in that third quarter. And I asked him after the game, I said, were you trying to throw that ball away? And he said, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then when I asked Tom, I, I, I said, he was trying to throw that ball away. And he was like, no, he wasn't. He was trying to squeeze it into to Jared Wiley and he shouldn't have. Well, right. e- either way, that's just not a decision we're used to seeing from Sam Ellinger and whatever is going on in terms of his comfortability or lack of comfortability, they've got to get that ironed out in this in this bye week because four interceptions in one game after throwing five all last year and and then the turnovers, you know, in, in the Kansas game. Now one of those was was Jake Smith and and you know Ellinger had one as well, but that's five critical turnovers in the last two games after turning it over five times all year last year. And that's, that's, that's regression is what it is. So um, either defenses are figuring things out about Tom Herman's offense, the tendencies. And I did think that Gary Patterson did a great job of, of knowing what was coming his linebackers on the first interception by Ellinger uh, to Duvernay, Duvernay, the, the linebacker had a better position than Duvernay. He tried to actually break that route and he was going to turn it back the other direction because the linebacker was ahead of him. And Sam was in the process of throwing it. And, and so he ended up throwing it right to Garrett Wallow, the TCU linebacker. And, uh, that was a, that was a tough one because that was in Texas territory. So, you know, that Sam can can do it. We've seen it. You just pointed it out 15 times. He connected with these two stud senior receivers who both went over 100 yards against TCU. And clearly Tom Herman felt like, hey, we're we're struggling to run it, even though uh, Keontae Ingram actually had nice numbers after the first half and finished averaging 4.4 yards per carry. And Sam averaged 4.8 yards per carry. And they only combined to run it 25 times. And, and so a little frustrating that, that Tom Herman felt like we've got to really lean on the pass because anytime in the second half, because anytime Gary Patterson has you one dimensional, man, you're in trouble. Right. And that's, that's what we saw. But I would say my positive from the game was the defiant attitude of Malcolm Roach and Keandre Coburn after the game uh, to not let this team come apart or let the noise get to them. Um, and especially Keandre Coburn, because this is a young guy. This is a, a, a redshirt freshman who played his ass off in that TCU game. And he only had three tackles, but he was disruptive and, and did a, was a big part of the reason that they held TCU to three points in the first quarter and, and 13 points total in the first half. And and before the turnover started to to enter the equation in the in the third quarter, but Keandre Coburn, you know, saying I'll be damned if I let this team get out of hand, I thought that was critical because you've got the veteran Malcolm Roach, the senior who this is it for him. You you get why he's saying it, and he's on the leadership council, and he's he's a guy that the team turns to. But for Keandre Coburn to be right there in lockstep with Malcolm Roach, I thought was really important at a time where 
if if young guys who aren't playing as much, you know, let the noise get to them, they can start to to check out and and start thinking about, well, you know, maybe this isn't the place for me, whatever. Things that they don't need to be thinking about right now, uh, eight games into the season. So I think leadership, player leadership, the coaches need to help these players with with the game plan, put them in position to succeed, give them the plays and the and the intel to succeed. And then the players have to take it from there and you got to have great player leadership. So who, who knows? Um, I, I just, that I felt it when I talked to Keandre Coburn after the game, that this really matters to him. And, and you got to have that. You got to have guys who are going to be getting in the faces of other guys and saying, are you wavering? Come on, let's go. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think you hit it too is, you know, you expect that type of conversation to come from, or, you know, uh, that type of quote to come from Malcolm Roach. But I think it's really positive that it is coming from an underclassman because, you know, if there is any type of divide or anything like that in the locker room, you need young leaders also being a voice of reason to their peers. I mean, that's just the way it is, you know, and I think that uh, Keandre, Keandre Coburn, you know, everybody knows he's talented and for him to be the one to be pissed off to be honest I think that's really positive it wasn't you know a young guy hanging his head saying poor me you know uh, this sucks uh we we suck you know whatever it may be you know that wasn't the case and I think I think I, you hit it right there um when it comes to just having both the veteran voice and then also a youngster but you know let's bring in Bobby Burton the publisher of horns247.com uh he is the man that started this industry with Shannon Terry um, nobody knows Texas football or has been around Texas football, except for maybe Chip, as long as Bobby. <laughs> so let's bring in Bobby to get his take on the Texas TCU game. All right, Bobby Burton, uh, welcome in to the uh, flagship podcast for our, our weekly conversation about uh, where the Longhorns are as the Longhorns turn. And I think we feared that uh, we might see what we saw in Fort Worth on Saturday, but uh, it has come to pass. So uh, let's let's get right to it. Let's dig in and and put on our surgical masks and and I'll ask you this, Bobby. Uh, you know, again, offensively, and I asked Tom Herman about this on the Big Twelve Coaches Call for the second time in three weeks. The the Texas offense was sluggish, uh, to say the least. Couldn't find a rhythm. Couldn't couldn't run the ball on its own terms, or didn't try uh, in the second half. Uh, give me your give me your I guess your biggest takeaway from what you saw Saturday. Well, I, I think first of all, I agree with you. They couldn't run the ball. I mean, I, I'll say that, but I want to start even further back than that and. You know, what fundamentally went wrong? And and I predict, I thought Texas would find a way to win that game somehow, some way. They had, an, they had the junior quarterback versus the freshman quarterback. Uh, they have a good offensive line. They had some pieces of the puzzles. Yeah, they, they were having problems, you know, here and there on defense, or not just here and there, but incredibly on defense. But I still thought uh, they would be able to beat a three and three TCU team. Um, and then about halfway through that game, I realized that that just wasn't going to happen because Texas is in more shape than maybe most people realize. And I think it's more fundamental. Uh, I think there's some coaching issues that are, that are rearing their head. And I don't mean coaching issues like this guy's a bad coach. This guy's a good coach. I'm talking more about strategy and game plan. Um, and that's where you mentioned a listless offense, basically. And I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know what you're going to get with Gary Patterson on defense. There were no surprises Texas saw, really, in that game from Gary Patterson. None. Yet, that offense looked pedestrian at best. It looked one-dimensional. Uh, Sam Ellinger 
as much as I like Sam, I think he's got issues um, where he tries to push the ball downfield way too much um, instead of sustaining drives, particularly when you have a defense that is on life support as it is. Um, and he's not running with the ball. He's not taking the yardage that's given him whenever there's a clear first down. I mean, what did they have? Three out of four possessions were three and outs in a row. I, I just, the game plan and strategy there for Texas, I thought was exceedingly poor almost from the outset. I actually thought the, the strategy on defense was decent until a minute left in the half. So, in, in the first half. And so I'm not talking about individual coaching. I'm talking about the actual more fundamental idea of strategy slash game plan. And that's a problem uh, and, because miss. I thought two years ago, Tom Herman um, misidentified his team's strengths in the preseason. He thought he had a better offensive line than he had, and it was a horrible offensive line. And I think he's getting to that point where he's he's relying more on Sam Ellinger than, than he's really prepared for, almost not prepared for, but capable of. He, he's not a guy that should be throwing it 40 to 45 times a game. Um, he's just not. They don't have the receivers for that. Um, not just Sam, It's not just Sam. But, so I just feel like, from a fundamental perspective, that's where I think they came up short in Fort Worth. Um, I really think they came up short in Dallas against OU because they thought they could run the ball and they didn't have a prayer because OU actually changed the defensive front and some things they were doing. But against Gary Patterson's team, I mean, you know what you're going to get. So either deal with it and take what's given to you or, you know, get ready for a long afternoon and, and, Texas apparently didn't – I just didn't think had a very good plan of attack at all. Well, it's – I talked to Tom Herman of the Big 12 coaches call and asked him about when they run all the vertical routes, where's the check down? And he he said, it's, it's there. It's the running back. And I didn't want to get into it with him, but the running back a lot of times is not getting out on the route. And he's staying in to help block – or, or and, and that's at timeout. That that's typically at the quarterback's discretion. At, 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 it's at his direct, not just at his direction. Direction, at his direction. Right. right. Yeah. And so, you know, Tom Herman needs to realize if that's going to be the check, then he has to do something different. He can't run for for vertical if that's what they're going to they're, they're going to bring because it maybe that's how Gary Patterson has his number. I mean, look. It is clear that Gary Patterson had a excellent understanding of what Texas would check into, what routes they would check into and run. Um, his DBs ran some of the routes better than the Texas receivers. And it wasn't just one or two, it was 10, you know? And so uh, that's how a quarterback ends up with four interceptions all in on one side of the field. I mean, it's, it it was a misjudgment, in my opinion, by the head coach um, and his game plan heading into that uh, against against the Horn Frogs. Yeah, and no play action whatsoever in the in the second half, and and no play action against OU at all. So that's just left the playbook, and you know a lot of times you can have the the running back fake. Obviously, like he's got the ball and go through the line, then turn around and become the check down. And they've got to get that figured out because whether it's Keontae Ingram or Roshan Johnson, that bailout is not there for Sam Ellinger in a way that it should be. I'll never forget talking to Major Applewhite. He said, I became a comfortable, productive quarterback when I realized the check down was my best friend. And that if I just, if it looks dirty at all if the picture looks dirty at all i just check it down get the four five six yards move on to the next play and ellinger when i asked him about that a couple weeks ago he he sort of 
marveled at Drew Brees because I, I said in, in the OU game, you know, you have to call whether the back stays in to protect or, or goes out uh, and becomes a check down. And he said, yep. And he said, Drew Brees is the best at that. And he said, it's, it's an art. And, and so that's an area clearly that, that they have to work with Sam on and, and Herman and he have to get on the same page because you can't run four verticals without a, without a check down. It, it just, it, it's, I mean, you know, part of that is obviously it, you hopefully have DBs with their backs turned and maybe Sam can run and go make a bunch of yards, but you can't rely on that all the time either because defenses will, you know, they'll play quarters coverage or something where they have eyes on you. And, um, and so, you know, these are adjustments and this is, this is part of my, my speculation, Bobby, and tell me if I'm crazy. You've got Tom Herman calling the plays. How much is, is he, you know, in the film room and, in putting things together like Gary Patterson in terms of evolving this offense, or is he relying on Larry Fedora and, and Tim Beck and, and Andre Coleman to do that stuff for him and hand it to him? I, I, I don't know. I know that if that, that was artwork, I would call it paint by numbers. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it certainly wasn't a Monet. I, 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 I look, I, my my take on it, Chip, is pretty straightforward. I think um, Sam Ellinger did not have uh, the capacity to, you know, usually there are four or five, a handful of plays that coaches will have that they can go to when they see a certain look from a team. And Texas clearly didn't have any of those that really worked. The only time I can remember is the slant to DuVernay where he took it almost to the house. Um, and Texas still only ended up with three points, I think. So I, I think that that is the only, only time I saw a uh, change of play at the line in the second half that even had a marginal chance of success. Um, and so, I, look, I don't know the answer here from that perspective of, of whether Herman's the one getting in and, and getting his hands dirty. I know this much. If he's not, he needs to, or, or something needs to change because Gary Patterson, Patterson hasn't truly changed his defense in eight years. Right. So if you can only score 27 with a junior quarterback and your best offensive line in um, 10 years and a senior receiver that's leading the country in receptions, there's something fundamentally wrong with, with your offense. You had and first, so, you had first down at the TCU 11 and got no points. And you had first down at the TCU 42 and went backward. Yeah. I, look, I'm not trying to be a, a jerk here to, towards Herman or, or to any of the coaches. I think fundamentally it was a poor game plan and, Maybe the players didn't execute as, as well as they should have, but I didn't see anything they checked into actually work, which means that to me, the fundamental game plan just didn't understand what they could and couldn't do because Gary Patterson didn't do anything unique. I mean, I'm just that <laughs> it, that looked like a TCU defense that you and I have both seen some with better players than others per se. But that didn't look any different. They didn't do anything different than they've been doing for since he's been there. So uh, I thought it was a poor, poor uh, game plan by Texas. And, uh, you know, if they played another quarter, I, I think that would have been a 21 point game. Not a I don't think Texas would have come back and made it closer. I mean, it was it was going the wrong way for Texas after half. Right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's talk about where we go from here. Uh, the bye week. And and then K-State and K-State's going to play Kansas this week and then they'll come to Austin. And of course, Kansas State just knocked off Oklahoma in decisive fashion. Um, But Texas needs to just get its own house in order. And one of the things I heard after the game that 
I think is reassuring is that a guy like Keandre Coburn was saying, I'll be damned if, if I'm going to let this team get out of hand and Malcolm Roach is going to be damned if, if he's going to let this team get out of hand. Um, you know, the young players, you got to have some of the guys who are playmakers or guys that are going to be counted on taking that leadership role. And I thought, you know, Keandre Coburn, who played his ass off in that TCU game, um, and, you know, his job is to occupy blockers so linebackers can make plays. And Texas isn't exactly the strongest it's ever been at linebacker, although they'll get Jeffrey McCulloch back. Um, I know, think from, they, I mean, look, I think they have the best linebacker they've had since Derek Johnson. Yeah, and he's all over the place. Yeah, but but that's a different story. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a, what's the saying? A, a wall is, is only only as or a, a fence is only as strong as its weakest link. And they've got issues at linebacker, even though they have a great player at linebacker. So I I think I think that's a that's a good point. Um, you know, where do they go from here, Chip? I mean. Where do you think they start? I mean, where do you really think they start? Well, first and foremost, if if there's any kind of tension between the players and the coaches, Tom Herman and that leadership council need to get that figured out. And so they can get to square one and everybody's on the same page and, and moving in the same direction. If if there's so you're, you're talking about locker room issues. Potentially, yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, Brendan Eagle's not showing up to practice uh, for personal reasons and Tom making it sound like, oh, we talked it out. It's good. And then he's suspended for that TCU game Uh, that that, you know, (laughs) whatever that was, that if it's just an isolated incident or part of a bigger issue, um, any kind of tension in the locker room, if if there is needs to be handled by Herman and needs to get uh, figured out because you and I both know anytime there's a disconnect, like we're seeing in the OU game, in the TCU game, where we're one side of the ball or two sides of the ball or all three phases, which in this case, they're regressing. And um, that the sign of a well-coached team is week to week improvement. We're not seeing that it's not a well-coached team right now. So um, last year, the offense did get better from week to week. And that's the healthy, strong side of, of this football team. And it's not getting better. And that's Tom Herman's side of it. So they got to get that stuff in order, you know, make sure that everybody's on the same page. Then I think it, it's going to be interesting because Jordan Whittington is back. And I'm not expecting the world from him at all. Um, but with two weeks to prepare, that's a lot of time for him to if he's in football shape and and take some hits and and show what he can do i this was my guy to be the leading rusher on this team preseason i think he's special i don't want to put it all on him but they they've been very inconsistent in the running game in terms of who's going to be the guy and they need one guy to emerge and become the guy because as good as Keontae Ingram was in the first half against TCU, he he was a no-show at West Virginia. And every week you're going, is it is Keontae locked in or is he? He's had, he's had two good games in a row, I think. Let, yeah. Let's be let's be clear. I think he's had two good games in a row. So I don't I don't necessarily agree with with him being inconsistent. I think that. He's had a couple off games, but I think the last couple of games he's actually picked it up. The the thing I was going to say about running back is I thought Roshan Johnson actually showed a chink in the armor a little bit uh, on on Saturday running outside. He looked lost on a couple of plays, um, which he hadn't looked here before. So um, going back to your initial point, though, Chip, if there is issues off the field, whether it's young players upset that they're not playing enough or old players upset that they're getting surpassed by young players or anything and everything in between coach. They don't like their assistant coach or they don't like their head coach or they don't like their classes or whatever. 
all of those issues are, if they let that noise become their season, it will devour them. And it, it will devour the football program. Because if you let noise like that um, overcome you, there's no, no uh, limit to what it can, can eat, basically. And um, so I, I agree with you. If, if that's the first thing that, that needs to be done, or if that's what you think needs to be done first, then that's absolutely what needs to be done first, because that's the that's a catastrophe waiting to happen if they let if they let a locker room get out of hand. That's just that's just the way it is in sports, and it could be any sport in any team. Um, yeah. So I I agree with that a hundred percent. Well, um, any parting thoughts, Bobby? No, I I I, I do think that that there are other pieces of the puzzle i i uh on defense i mean i thought montrell estelle had maybe one of the worst games i've ever seen from a safety um and i'm serious i mean ever uh yeah that third and 17 for a touchdown when he was in position was a killer wasn't just that when the one that jameson got beat on coverage he went to the opposite hash mark instead of covering his side deep i mean it was there were multiple uh, instances of, of Estelle just being out of position or late to the party. I thought Tyler Owens actually played well. He was in position, didn't make the play a couple times, but was in much better position than his, than his uh, counterpart in Estelle. I, I think the other thing that has to happen, and, and you mentioned this, it, we can belabor this till we're blue in the face. Texas has to generate a pass rush. Period. Story. They started to do it, and TCU got lucky on a couple of throws. One down the field in the middle of the middle of the hash, where Texas would have got the ball back with a chance to to tie um, or go ahead. And they, you know, they they threw it and ended up being a touchdown two plays later. So, um, I I can see what what's happening on defense. They have got to get a get a pass rush, or else this is just going to be brutal to watch. Maybe with Caden Stearns potentially coming back, that starts the process of getting guys like Estelle off the field in third and seventeen instead of getting Estelle on the field on third and seventeen. Yeah, and so we'll see how that goes. But I think I think health will be a help will help them, and then on offense, Sam Ellinger has to stop being the hero on every pass play check it down take four or five yards and play play the next down and get ahead of the chains they they had so many three and outs in in part because ellinger i mean throws the ball deep to john burt who's not open by by any stretch of the imagination on a a post and i'm like that's not even there (laughs) i mean and so there goes first down. Let's just drop back. I mean, I think there were seven possessions in a row that Texas started with a pass on first and 10. Yeah. Pass I mean, on first run on second pass on third. Yeah. It was, it was just like, you're just like, what is going on? And I feel like Ellinger, he has to chip. He has to change his mindset of everything has to be done perfectly. Right. Let's just get the, instead let's start focusing on getting the ball. And, and scoring points, not in bunches, but by consistency. You know, not this doesn't have to be this big play offense. We don't that that doesn't need to happen for Texas. What needs All to right. happen is they need to put points on the board. Period. I got to ask you this too, because you 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 understand how critical the tight end is to Tom Herman's offense. With Cade Brewer probably out the rest of the regular season, what's your and Reese Leto is fighting through shoulder and ankle injuries. What's your uh, assessment of Jared Wiley at this point? I think he's overwhelmed by the situation at times. Um, he's certainly a freshman. Physically, I think he has a chance to Oof. be terrific. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure he's there yet. I actually was higher on him prior to the Kansas game than I was post-Kansas. He got beat 
really badly a couple times against Kansas for the first time this year where I, I said to myself, okay, he may not be ready after all. So I kind of backpedaled a little bit on my Jarrett Wiley or Jared Wiley take a little bit after Kansas. And then he didn't do much in, in TCU to make me change my mind. He, he held a block nicely on the edge on, on a, uh, uh, pass to DeVernay that put Texas in scoring position. But I, I am of the opinion, uh, that he's good enough long-term. I think that Texas needs to start looking at other alignments that doesn't have, that don't have a, a tight end on the field every single down. Yeah. Uh, and if they, if they don't do that, then I think that you're going to see even a, a, an offense with one hand tied behind its back because I'm not sure Wiley's ready for, for full-time duty. Yeah. Bobby, good stuff as always, my friend. Let's do it again next week. All right. Take care, Chip. Have a good All one. All right. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Joined now by Bruce Feldman, longtime college football writer extraordinaire, now television star with Fox. In fact, he was at the Texas TCU game. Bumped into him, and I was trying to think, Bruce, man, you and I have been bumping into each other uh, on the trail here for 20-something years. Um, And first of all, it's always good to see you, my friend. Same here. Um, I appreciate the kind words. Well, I don't know about the some 20 some years in the long time. We are both old, uh, but it is uh, it's always good to see some familiar faces. And I, I love getting to do Texas games just from uh, just knowing what the passion of the fan base is. And it's been interesting. I honestly I expected them to be a playoff team. That was my preseason prediction. And here we are with three losses. So it's been a little bit of a surprise. Well, that's that's part of the reason we wanted to to bring you on to talk this week, because, of course, when you do a game like you did um, covering the Texas TCU game, you get to talk to the coaches and players and get a sense for for where things are. And of course, you're on the sideline watching every second of the game. So just your impressions of where Texas is right now. Well, I no secret. They are really struggling on defense. And look, I, I didn't think they would be great on defense coming into the year. And obviously they've had a rash of injuries, especially in the secondary. You know, we came into that game and that was an issue. You know, you talked to both Tom and, and, and Todd Orlando, as well as some of the players about it. And in the first half, I talked to, to Tom Herman coming off the field going into halftime. And he talked about, you know, he was pretty proud of the effort that he saw from his defense. And then in the second half, things just kind of got away from them. And and to be honest, Sam Ellinger had thrown three picks going into the game and threw four there. And this wasn't like it's a great TCU defense. You know, TCU is kind of sputtering going in there. And it just, for all the problems that I think they had, I felt like some new problems kind of showed up. Because you're looking at it going, all right, so Colin Johnson's healthy now and Devin Duvernay is playing like an All-American. And I thought in the first half, Keontae Ingram ran hard and the offensive line, it, from my perspective, is a lot better than it's been. You know, I've done a lot of Texas games and the, you know, going back to when Charlie was the head coach. This feels like about as good an offensive line as they've had in a long time there, which quite honestly isn't saying that much. But I feel like it's it's respectable now and it's pretty good. And yet they just um, I don't know. It was it was. It was kind of a weird game, and it just felt like maybe this is just a, a quirk, but it just didn't seem like like they got Sam kind of off his game a little bit, I felt like, in the end, and maybe he was, I don't know, maybe he's trying to do too much. It reminded me a little bit, we did the Maryland game in wherever it was, where the Redskins play. I guess it wasn't in Maryland's field. FedEx. The opener. Yeah, and that's what it started, it felt a little like. And I'm I, again, it just was like a little bit of a flashback to that where I feel like there was a couple of times where 
Sam got God a little bit. And I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, why things happened the way they did. Cause yeah, Max Duggan looked really good for, especially in the second half with his true freshman quarterback. But again, I, I still thought this is a game that Texas is going to come back and win. And they didn't. And I was surprised. Um, talking to Bruce Feldman, who was a sideline reporter for Fox on the uh, Texas TCU game. And yeah, it, it struck me that for the second time in three games, the offense was struggling to to find its footing against Oklahoma. It definitely struggled, gave up nine sacks to an Oklahoma defense that didn't look all that uh, superior this past weekend against Kansas State and and then put up, what, 50 or 48. Uh, there was a defensive Extra, uh, extra point return for two points against Kansas. And and so there's this choppiness because is, with all the injuries on defense, the offense, like you said, with Colin Johnson, Devin DuVernay, Sam Ellinger, the offensive line, and a running game that has sort of been ham and egg between Keontae Ingram and Rashawn Johnson, the offense has to carry this team, it seems, right now you know isn't that the your sense of it yeah maybe there's just too much pressure that eventually it kind of gave out a little bit that sputtered um you know when you look at this and i think chip you and i might have talked about this before the game you know what's coming up next it's it's tricky because you got k-state which you know i think when you and i were talking i I, it was k-state wasn't blowing out oklahoma just yet they were about to but that's not a fun team to play and then you got to go to Ames, and that's not a fun team to play. And then Baylor, who right now is undefeated, and that's on the road. Uh, and not to say anything about Texas Tech. I mean, I think that's probably the easiest of the four. But if you don't, if you don't have things buttoned up, I mean, you could lose more than one of those games in the next three. And so I'm really interested to see, like you said, in this stretch, take out the LSU loss, separate that for now. But you've had three games in a row where Oklahoma, it could have been worse than it was, but you know, it was what it was. They barely survived Kansas and then they lose by 10 at TCU. And now the schedule, I don't, it doesn't get any easier. So look, I, I'm a big believer in Sam Ellinger. I think, you know, he's a great leader and he's a really smart kid and, you know, talking to people within the program, they just rave about him. And I think it's genuine. It's just, I think there's a lot right now on this team and I'm sure you know, they'll get a little healthier on defense and that'll help, but they're going to have to step it up and play a lot more than they cannot afford any mistakes. Cause I really don't think as explosive as the offense is, I just don't think their margin for error is, is very big right now. And they need some of these younger players to grow up in a hurry. And it, I don't think it's lack of want to, you see Joseph Asai run all over the place and you saw how hard uh, Malcolm Roach played. And, but I, I just think that right now they they don't have any time to you know i'm not saying they are doing this but they can't feel sorry for themselves they're gonna have to to get up and battle i mean they have a bye week and then it's go time because you know they can still go nine and three or they could end up struggling to be more than six and six if it, if they don't really rally here yeah talking to bruce feldman and bruce um in your conversations with tom herman before the game did you get the sense that he felt like he had a handle on this team um, because there's, you know, two, two recruits decommitted from the 2020 class last week. Brennan Eagles didn't show up at practice for personal reasons and then got benched for the TCU game. And there's a sense that maybe there's some, some turmoil in the locker room. Did you get any sense from Tom that he's, he's got a handle on things or, or what was your sense? I think just from having known Tom for a while, he is an extremely confident guy. And I, I didn't get the sense that things were reeling there, you know? And so that's why I was surprised. And if you told me if they didn't have the quarterback they have, I might be a little more, um, not suspicious, but I may be a little more, more, a little less confident. Yeah. I would be a little more confident, but I just think you have as good a leader as, as Texas has had in a long time and not just a a good leader, but a kid who believes in everything about Texas and is a really mature kid. I mean, when Colin, Colin Johnson told me something during the week, he said, 
we were talking about Sam as a leader and it really stuck with me. He's like, you know, whatever you feel when you look in his eyes in the huddle, there is no doubt. There is no hesitation. So it's easier for you to feel that way. I got, I suspect that some of the players probably are a little surprised that it went in the direction it did just because I think they have so much faith in, in, in the guy who runs the show. And so again, that's why I'm curious. I'm not around them this week. I'm curious how they pick up the pieces from that because it's one thing when your young defense doesn't hold up at you know its end of the bargain and they struggle with growing pains. It's another thing when the guy who's the leader of the program and really gives it so much of its identity um, has a bad game. You know, it just it's just surprising because it just felt like I said like it like it felt like 15 months ago or 14 months ago when they were coming off that Maryland game where there was a lot of people going hmm. This is not getting off to the start. And then they just kind of left all that in the dust and, and hit the gas. And it just seemed like now they kind of have hit some bumps in the road. So uh, talking to Bruce Feldman and with the with Oklahoma losing to K-State, the scenario from last year has sort of emerged now. Now, Texas fans are going to say, don't even talk about Texas uh, to the Big 12 title game. But um, of course, that was the goal because they got there last year. And now they need Oklahoma to win out and for Texas to win out so that they could play Oklahoma again in a Big 12 title game. But there's Baylor sitting there undefeated. Matt Rule came in the same time as, as Tom and Lincoln Riley three years ago. And Matt Rule uh, with, what, 45 scholarship players, and then he added 29 um, and then you know filled in with some walk-ons is sitting there undefeated. What what do you make of Baylor at this point? They they went to K-State and won and they beat Iowa State at home and they got a they got a benefit of a, a missed call against Texas Tech, but they're undefeated. Yeah, I, I mean I think he's done a remarkable job because set aside for their win loss record and everything, I'm not saying it's not significant, but given the absolute toxic culture that was that he walked in on there and such a dark cloud and I was around that team a little bit we did one of the games when Jim Grobe was the head coach and Jim Grobe I think walked into such an ugly situation and what I remember seeing from that was Jim Grobe who has such a great reputation amongst coaches but there was a time when I remember he said something and all of a sudden it's like, wow, you get sucked into this this dark Baylor cloud that's right now where people are like, you can't say that. And I remember thinking with Matt Rule and just from having covered him at Temple and gotten to know him over the years, I'd be shocked if Matt Rule ever says the wrong thing or something perceived as the wrong thing in front of a podium. Not because he's polished or any, I just, I mean, he is he was the perfect hire for that place at that time because he's all about substance and, and I'm surprised at how quickly he's got it going. And I don't want to say back because it's a different kind of program right now, but right now the national coach of the year, I don't know who it is, but I know he, the national coach of the year probably at this point comes from like about an hour and a half away. It's either going to be Sonny Dykes or it's Matt rule. Cause what they've done in those respective jobs has been pretty remarkable. Yeah, and and Shane Bouchelle, the former Texas quarterback, now at SMU. Your thoughts on what Shane and what that SMU program has has been able to do? Yeah, good good for Shane. I mean, to sometimes it doesn't work out that great. And look for for a kid who, by all accounts, is you know always you know handled himself very well. I think if I was a Texas fan, obviously I wouldn't be thrilled with three losses, but. I'd be very happy to see the success he's had where sometimes guys transfer and they, they kind of go off the grid a little bit. And maybe they have a good game and maybe they're, it's underwhelming. He's ter- like, this couldn't have worked out any better for him since leaving. You know, he gets to stay in state. He's, he's helped revive a program. Uh, he's getting to, to do it on a national stage. It's only going to increase as they, as they remain in the top 25 and he's got good skill talent around him. Those receivers are really good. I mean, they're a little banged up, but, uh, and Sonny Dykes and, and Rhett Lassie, they know what to do, how to get an offense going. I think we've seen all those good things. And it's a really nice story that's happening there in the Dallas area. Um, before we let you go, I always, 
um, you know, I always tell people about your books, you know, Meat Market, um, the book you did with Inside Access at the Ole Miss program with Ed Orgeron, um, and of course, Swing Your Sword, the book you did with Mike Leach. And, and I think it's a great book and everybody needs to read it. And especially, I don't, I, to this day, I don't know how many people realize that that Adam James put himself in that little electrical closet. Um, your book does a great job of, of detailing that. But what's what's your relationship like with Orgeron and and Leach now? Do you stay in touch with them? And and you know when you're when you get that close uh, to those coaches, you know how how are those relationships now? Well, they're different in this regard. Like with Leach, the book was with Leach. And his people had reached out to me, so it was, you know, more of a sensitive, more of a of a of a of a business connection. There was Ogeron; he just trusted me to be around. And this was, <laughs> excuse me, I had done this probably now a dozen years ago, or f- almost 15 years ago. Where it was like he didn't know what the book was going to be about, and I knew him a little bit, but I didn't know him that well. And there, you could not get two more opposite individuals. And this is the <laughs> truth. Mike Leach, you get him on the phone, you cannot get him off the phone. You could be on the phone with him for an hour and a half, and he's just talking away. Ed Ogeron, he'll call you back, but he's not. no call lasts for more than like two or three minutes because he's like, got to go, and he's hustling. But, you know, I probably talk to Ogeron a lot more than I talk to, to Leach. I'll see Leach around the Pac-12 kickoff deal, and I'll maybe see him at, at uh, the Hall of Fame event. And, you know, we've done the Apple Cup the last couple of years, so I'll see him there. Um, whereas Ogeron, I, I mean, their team is is a legit national title contender. And, um, you know, so I'll check in with him quite a bit. And, you know, our relationship is still is still strong and, and good. And so it, it's it's fascinating because I've never and I'm not sure I'll ever see a coach do more of a 180 than what Ed Ogeron was like at Ole Miss compared to the guy now who's probably one of the five best coaches in college football. I mean, since 2016, I think there's only three uh, three coaches who won more games in power five or have a better winning percentage than him. Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney and James Franklin. You could throw Lincoln Riley in there, but he didn't start coaching till as a head coach till the next year. So, I mean, considering what the old Miss fans thought of him compared to now, I mean, it's pretty staggering. Yeah, no, it is. And you live in California and you, you know, are friends with our, our friend Ryan Abraham. And I think you, you know, pay attention to what's going on at USC. What uh, what's going on with Brew McCoy? And have you ever seen a situation like that where he transferred twice before ever playing a game? I haven't. I mean, it's, it was unique. We did a couple of USC games. I suspect he'll get, you know, get cranked up next in the spring. I mean, it's ironic. He left early and he probably won't play at all and or have much of a role till the following spring. And who knows who his coach is going to be then? I mean, it's very, very yeah. realistic that he could have had three college coaches before he ever plays in a college game because he had he and probably four offensive coordinators because he obviously had I think he had Cliff Kingsbury for a minute <laughs> and yeah. then he had then he had Tim Beck and Tom Herman and now he's got Graham Harrell along with obviously the head coach Clay Helton and I I suspect they will have a coaching change this winter and maybe Graham will stay on maybe he won't um, but I think that's just life in college football in 2019 and how whether it's the portal and, and different things. I know everybody I talked to, even the people I talked to at Texas, spoke highly about him as a as a kid. And so hopefully he gets, uh, you know, he gets comfortable and things are going. I know that, you know, they have really good receivers at USC as well. I mean, they obviously have good receivers at Texas. So it's not going to be easy to to be the the go to guy with the collection of talent they still have there. Yeah, it. Uh, uh, I agree. I mean, it. it I don't think Texas wanted him to leave at all and had him in the plans for this year uh, if he could have gotten his eligibility waiver approved. Bruce, great stuff as always. Any other books or anything else that that needs to be uh, a Christmas item for our listeners? 
No, I mean, honestly, I, we have two young kids and I don't have the energy to work books. in at this point, the kids suck the life out of me. I'm glad I just have the TV job as well. So, but if anybody, uh, you know, if anybody wants to go, um, uh, go Google, uh, meat market uh, or swing your sword, I would, uh, I would be appreciative of that. Well, listen, always great to catch up with Bruce Feldman and, uh, and we'll catch up down the road. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. All right. Great stuff with Bruce Feldman. Awesome stuff. Great to see Bruce in Fort Worth at the uh, Texas TCU game. And Taylor, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, in my tailgate takeaway, I'm not going to talk about how Sam clearly did not listen to my advice to talk to Shane Bouchelle <laughs> from SMU, who had already gone into Fort Worth and beaten TCU. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I'm gonna Wait, you're not? You're not. You just brought it up. You just brought it up. What you oh, oh, I'm about? sorry. I, I will, I'll, <laughs> I'll drop it there. Um, I'm going to talk about something positive and the fact that they're getting Caden Stearns and Jeffrey McCulloch and uh, DeMarvin Overshawn and BJ Foster back from injury for the Kansas State game is incredible news because I don't think people realize how difficult it is to have a defense without any quarterbacks in the back half of the defense. The safeties are the quarterbacks of the defense and they were the deepest, maybe best position on the team. And then they were gone. And I don't think people expected Chris Brown to be as good as he was this year. And he was one of the best players on the team through four games. Um, him being lost with a fractured forearm still hurts a lot. But you get Caden Stearns back, you get B.J. Foster, DeMarvin Overshawn, and have Brandon Jones on the field. These guys know what they're doing. They've got experience. They've been in big games. We saw them make plays in their big wins last year against Oklahoma and Georgia. And this is great news. And I expect the Texas defense to be much improved. And going up against a K-State team that wants to pound you with the run, they're going to run Skylar Thompson. Um, they are going to, they're, I mean, they're a lot like the Bill Snyder teams. Um, they just ran it down Oklahoma's throat uh, in that upset of the Sooners. So you need to have your hitters, your physical guys on the field and, and the guys who can give confidence to those corners to make sure that they're lined up correctly. Uh, I think it's going to make a huge difference. And, and I expect to see this, this defense improve rapidly now uh, that they have the the bulk of their safeties back. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I, I've been saying that for a few weeks now about, you know, how much the injuries are impacting this defense. You know, I told the story about my father-in-law who's been a longtime defensive coach in the state of Texas that knows the type of offenses that are running the Big 12. And because, you know, he coached against a lot of those type of players that are on those Big 12 offenses now. So, you know, he, you know, I told that story about how much injuries really do impact it, whether fans want to believe it or not. But now is, you know, the time to kind of put up or shut up because Texas has some of their experience coming back to defense. I also think it'll help to have Jalen Green. You know, he played some against TCU. He didn't start, but he played for the majority of the third quarter or the uh, second half, excuse me, and a lot throughout the game. But him even just having two more weeks to heal up, I think will be huge for this Texas defense. Um, and then couple that as with the guys you mentioned, you know, Jeffrey McCulloch, BJ Foster, Caden Stearns. I mean, I think that while Chris Brown, you know, is not going to be available, I do think having even those three, you know, some people have been down on Jeffrey McCulloch some, but it's still some type of veteran player on the defense. And at this point, that's what you need with this Texas team. Um, I think that I definitely think, this will be very telling to see how well this defense can improve if they do have the healthy bodies on there. And I think it might, you know, if Texas fans look at the, you know, play and if it is, you know, a, a step forward from what we have seen from this defense over the last, um, you know, several weeks, then I think you have to take that as a positive because, you know, this was, this was a defense entering the season that had a lot of questions. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you or I or, Jeff Howe or Bobby Burton talked about leading up to the season that it's going to be difficult to replace, you know, eight starters on defense. Now, is it possible? Of course it was possible, but it still was going to be very difficult. And so 
Um, it was already a question mark with the injuries adding, you know, just adding insult to injury, basically, you know, I think that um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this defense looks with these healthy guys back. And, um, you know, if there is visual progress, I think Texas fans need to just take any type of positivity from that moving forward as the season um, progresses. Love it. Love it. All right, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. Go spend some time with your kids. Go, um, you know, have a healthy, happy, safe Halloween, of course. But, uh, you know, do something fun. And then we'll get back and we'll be right here for you. Get over to horns247.com or, you know, take a little walk away from the message board every now and then. And we'll come back and it'll be a, a whole new day for Kansas State next week. When we rejoin you, uh, thanks to Bruce Feldman, thanks to Bobby Burton, thanks to Taylor freaking Estes, the the five-tool player at Horns247.com. And thanks to Chip Brown, the man, the (laughs) myth, the legend, Chip Brown. (laughs) And we'll talk to you next week.